this morning. Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 6? We'll be looking this morning at verses 35 through 40. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The grass withers and the flower fades But the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning hungry and thirsty, longing to be satisfied. So God, satisfy us with your word. Would you speak unto our hearts by your spirit, and would you lead us to deep and lasting streams? Would you satisfy our souls with you? Father, I pray for your people. I pray, O oh God, that you would move in their hearts in a wondrous way. May they know not only who they are, in Christ, but I pray that they would also know whose they are, that they belong unto you. Encourage and strengthen their hearts and their wills this day. And oh God, would you help me, your servant? God, would you keep me from error? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, oh God. You are my rock and my Redeemer. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the eighth day, God created social media. Or at least that is how Monica lived her life. From the moment she woke up until she went to bed, she was consumed with one thing. Being an influencer. Being an influencer. She had hundreds of thousands of followers across all the major platforms from every corner of the globe. She was making unbelievable amounts of money through sponsorships and ad revenues. She possessed the coveted blue check mark of verification. If you know, you know. 
and her opinions of current events were just as craved as were her questionable pictures and swimming suits and nightgowns. Monica thought she had it all. After an awkward adolescence that was filled with rejection and angst, she was now, according to her, one of the most important people in the world. And she was as satisfied with herself and her life as she could ever be. She had it all. And it lasted a little over two years. One day, Monica put up a post about a controversial topic, and she was completely devoured by the woke monster of cancel culture. Everyone turned on her. Within a matter of days, she lost most of her followers. She lost all of her revenue. She lost the blue check mark. And worst of all, she lost her sense of acceptance, her sense of satisfaction, and her sense of meaning. Her last verified post ended like this And I thought I was content. And I thought. I was content. What a tragedy, right? What a tragedy, but what a mirror. What a mirror into which each of us should take a moment and look. For every person who has ever lived from Adam until now is more like Monica than they think. After all, we do share a lot in common with her. Maybe we've never had a blue check mark, but maybe we share a longing, a longing for significance, the desire to be known, the desire to be important, the drive to have a positive influence on people and on the world around us. Perhaps we could even summarize what we all share with her in this way. It's a passionate pursuit of being satisfied. Satisfied by all that we are in and of ourselves. Let me say it again. A passionate pursuit of being satisfied by all that we are in and of ourselves. Does that sound familiar to you? Are your toes hurting a little bit? Maybe you see a glimpse of yourself in that mirror. Perhaps maybe you see more than you want to in that mirror. If so, you're in good company. I'm there as well. This morning, we're beginning a five-week topical series on Christian contentment. And we start this morning with what I am convinced is a foundational principle for understanding Christian 
contentment. If you want to understand Christian contentment, I believe this is a foundational principle, a principle that informs and instructs all other facets of Christian contentment, whether it be we're talking about relationships or material possessions or circumstances or the future, it all must stand, and as we'll say later, be tethered to this principle. What's the principle? It's this. Christian contentment can only be found when we are satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. Christian contentment can only be found when we are satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. You see, the sin within us and the world around us screams for us to be satisfied by all that we are in and of ourselves. But God, God calls us to be satisfied with all that he is for us in Christ. And this is exactly what we see in this passage before us today. John 6, 35 through 40. John chapter 6 is one of the more well-known accounts of Jesus's ministry. Some might even say more controversial accounts but it's also one of the more somber as well. If you look there at the beginning of chapter six, you'll see that it begins with an account, an account that we're familiar with, right? The feeding of the 5,000. And if you zoom to the end, you'll see that it ends with some very pointed words that Jesus has to say to his 12 disciples. And even so, even the one who would betray him Yet all throughout chapter 6's 71 verses, it highlights what I want to say is our first point this morning. So if you're taking notes, here's your first point. The search for satisfaction. The search for satisfaction. Since the days of the prophets... The people of Israel had been eagerly awaiting their Messiah, this promised king to whom they could hitch their identity, the one who would supply all their needs, execute true and lasting justice, and and bring an end to all their enemies. And though their identity with the Messiah is best classified as a national identity, There were elements of personal identity here as well. For if they were no longer under the rule of an earthly kingdom or earthly kingdoms, then they would be truly free, free from tyranny, free from want and need, free from persecution, free in God's king, the coming Messiah All of their significance, all of their identity, all of their influence, all of their security were wrapped up in this one person. When he came, all would be well. They would be satisfied. And they were, in a sense. 
they had seen the miracles that this man Jesus had been doing. I mean, they're on the lookout, right? They're looking for the Messiah. Many came before Jesus claiming to be that Messiah, but now comes a guy who's healing the sick and casting out demons, and this could be the one. So they began following him, and John 6 tells us that it's a a large crowd that's following him. And as the crowd amassed, there came a logistical problem, right? How are we going to feed all these people? We're not going to go into all the details, but verses 1 through 14 document how Jesus miraculously provides a meal for every single person who's there that day and more from what? Five loaves and two fishes offered by a little boy. What happens at the end of this? Do you know what the crowd shouts? Look at verse 14. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Here he is. This is the one. Look at verse 15. They were determined to come and take him by force and make him king. So they got full bellies. Their earthly appetites are satisfied. Their check boxes are all checked. Their king is here. They have their king. Well, Jesus knows what's going on, right? He knows the hearts of mankind. And so he withdraws. He gets away from them. And you know what happens next, right? The disciples get in the boat and they start going. Jesus walks on the water. There's this big account, right? He makes it over to the other side. Of course, the people are like, where'd Jesus go? We didn't see him get in the boat. Where'd he go? So they're pursuing him. They're looking for him. Their mind was set on earthly things. Their minds were set on him. And so they find him. And then look what he says to them in verses 26 and 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. See, their mind was on earthly satisfaction. They had fashioned a box, and so far Jesus had fit perfectly into that box. But Jesus takes their thoughts, right? And he turns them from the temporal to the eternal and tells them that they are searching for the wrong satisfaction all together. Instead of working for food that perishes, which we can call worldly satisfaction, Jesus says they should rather be working for food that endures to eternal life, or we can call eternal satisfaction. Then Jesus tells them, I can give you that kind of bread. I can give you that kind of food. And look how they respond in verse 28. What must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And how does Jesus answer? Look at the next verse. Believe in him whom God has sent. In other words, 
Believe in me. Believe in me. As I've already pointed out, this search for satisfaction is common to all of us. Each and every one of us has this longing to hitch our identity to something, to hitch our identity to something so that we can be satisfied with all that we are in and of ourselves. Some of us may hitch our identity to a religious figure. Maybe it's to some political party or a particular politician Maybe we want to hitch our identity to some cultural movement or maybe other, some other icon like a, an athlete or a movie star or someone like that. We want to hitch our identity to anyone or anything that validates and reinforces and stabilizes who we are and what we stand for. I stand with as I stand for this. Others of us, maybe we're rebels. Can't find anything I want to hitch my identity to. So I'm going to do it on my own. I am going to form and fashion my own identity. I'm going to hitch myself to that. And I'm going to be really satisfied because I did it my way. I made myself. This is who I am. Whichever way we choose, it's likely that we're going to experience one degree of satisfaction or another. Earthly, worldly satisfaction will probably find us. But I think each and every one of us can agree with this. It cannot Truly and completely satisfy. It can't. It can't. If we're hitching our identity to any of these things, other or self, if we haven't realized it already, mark my words, it'll waste away. It'll run dry. It will ultimately disappoint So then we have a question. To what or to whom should we hitch our identity? Where do we go? What do we do? Well, I know I posed it, but I'm going to go ahead and say that's the wrong question. That's not the right question. To what or to whom should we hitch our identity? I think that's a lot of the problem. Imagine what it would be like if you didn't have to create an alliance between your identity and some other one. Imagine what it would be like if you could have your identity transformed, changed into another one altogether. Imagine what it would be like if this identity could truly satisfy your deepest longing to be known, not by everyone else in the world, but imagine if it could truly satisfy your deepest longing to be known by being known by the one who created everyone else in the entire world. Imagine what it would be like if you could be transformed into one who does more than just make a difference in this world, but rather makes a difference for eternity. That's the good news of this text. 
there is something available to you that is so much better than anything else this world has to offer. And it's our second point that we come to this morning. There is a source of satisfaction. There is a source of satisfaction that will not only do all that I just asked you to imagine, but he will do so much more. Jesus introduces this truth in verse 35 when he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, only Jesus, is the true and lasting source of satisfaction both in this world and in the next. Only he can take our identities and transform them into another one altogether. For when we do come to him by faith, when our spiritually dead hearts are regenerated into ones that are alive, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then are we truly united to him. Then are we made part of his body. Then are we no longer known as an enemy, but rather we're known as friends. You see, when Jesus dwells within us, by his Holy Spirit, when he takes the throne of our hearts, our identity is completely and totally transformed. Completely, totally changed. When Christ rules your heart, you are set free from bondage to sin and to self. You're set free to a new and glorious life with him. And we're invited to be satisfied with all, not some, all that God is for us in him. When we come to Jesus and I'm not just talking about the first time because if you're like me, I have to come to Jesus a lot. We have a lot of come to Jesus moments in this head, okay? Lots of come to Jesus moments. So not just the first time, but every other time, he always remains the true and lasting source of satisfaction. He made the promise here himself. Look what he says. You will not hunger. You'll never thirst. You will never hunger. You will never thirst. Jesus never ceases to nourish and refresh his people. Jesus' supply never runs out. What he gives will never disappoint us. It will never leave us wanting. It will never cease to satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. I grew up a city slash suburb kid. So there's a lot about rural life that I didn't know. One of those, I knew nothing about wells. I mean, it was like the water came from the city, you turn the tap on, there it is, yay, right? We're all good. Well, my first trip ever to West Africa, I was staying in a compound where they were digging a new well. There was no heavy machinery there. 
nothing sophisticated at all. One man, a shovel, tied himself to a rope with a bucket going down as far as he had been, digging one bucket full at a time. Imagine that. This is West Africa. You got to go quite a ways to get to the water. You have to go quite far. He was doing it in the rain season, which was smart. Water tables up. Still, you can't rest in that, right? You got to keep going. You got to make sure. You got to make sure you get water. And here he is just digging. As he goes, he muds the side, right? He muds the side, makes it sturdy, keeps going. And I found myself a lot of time in the evening watching this guy. And I thought, well, I could offer to help, but there's no way I'm going down there on a rope. So I'll pray for him, right? I'll pray for him and I'll, I'll encourage him. And so I did. He would come up and we'd sit and talk and I would try to encourage him the best I could. And I asked him, how long have you been working on this? He said, weeks. I'm like, wow, you know, weeks, you've made a lot of progress. So what keeps you going? All day, every day, what keeps you going? You're like, that's easy, pastor. Hope. Hope. I know there's water down there somewhere. And I hope if I dig enough, I'll find it. If I just keep digging, I will find it. I'll eventually have what I need. So let me ask you this question. What well are you digging? Some of you may actually literally be digging wells. I'm talking figuratively. What wells are you digging? What earthly nourishment are you working for that you hope will truly satisfy your soul? Is it influence? Is it approval? Is it comfort? Is it power? Something else maybe? What are you digging for? Now imagine if there was already a source of water right nearby. And I could have told this young man, there's good clean water already available to you over here. He would have stopped digging and he would have went and taken advantage of it, wouldn't he? Yes. So Christian, why do you put your hope in other things? Why do you keep digging well after well after well when you can just cease your striving and you can rest in the hope that is right here in front of you? Jesus Christ, he says, I will satisfy you. I will satisfy. So now we come to our third and final point this morning, the security in satisfaction. The security in satisfaction. In verses 37 through 40, Jesus makes three points that underscore the superiority of the satisfaction that he can provide. These three points, subpoints, are three truths which serve, as I mentioned earlier, they're anchor points. They're anchor points that tether us to that foundational principle of Christian contentment 
that we're laying out this morning. Remember that principle, we are only content when we're satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. So the first truth or sub-point is that we are known. We are known. Jesus says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. This means that you're not known by God because you choose to let him know you. Rather, it means that you have been known by him since before the foundation of the world, that you've been chosen by God. You've been chosen by him for salvation and you've been given to his son so that you would be redeemed by his saving work. You were on his mind when he went to the cross. Even more. Because God created you and because he's absolutely sovereign, he does, as Psalm 139 reminds us. You might just want to jot that reference down and read it later. He knows everything about you. He knows your length of days. He knows your coming and going. He knows your very thoughts and desires. He even knows the very number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. Listen. In all your longing to be known by others, don't forget this truth. You are known by God. You are known intimately and deeply. Second, second truth. We are accepted. We are accepted. You see, if we're known by God, and even if he does, which he does, know our darkest moments and our deepest sins. If we're known by him, we can rest in knowing that we are also just as much accepted by him. Listen to Jesus in verse 37. Whoever comes to me, what? I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and all of those who come to me, I'm never going to cast them out. Blessed assurance. That is blessed assurance. If you've been given to the Son by the Father, no matter if it is the first or the hundred millionth time when you come to him, he will never cast you out. You see, in our longing to be satisfied with all that we are in and of ourselves, in our longing to hitch our identities to the things of this world, we will often find ourselves being underappreciated, undervalued, even unaccepted. But if instead we embrace the new identity we have in Christ, and if we seek to live out of that identity and work out of that identity, you can be comforted to know You're not underappreciated by Jesus. You're cherished and you're honored. You're not undervalued by Jesus. Oh, no, ever think that you're undervalued by Jesus. You were valuable enough to go to the cross for. And you were precious enough to defend until the very end. And you're most certainly not unaccepted by Jesus. You're always welcome. You're always accepted. You're never cast out, never turned away. And the third truth is that we are eternal. We are eternal. When we are known and accepted by God, it follows 
that we will enjoy these realities until the very end of time, that our satisfaction in Jesus is indeed secure for all eternity. Jesus confirms this in verse 39. And he says, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I'm going to raise it up on the last day. And again in verse 40, he says, everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, you were made for eternity and you will also be sustained and satisfied in Christ for all eternity. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from his love. There is nothing more secure than that. You can try to think of something, but there is nothing more secure than how secure you are in the Father's hand because of your good shepherd, Jesus Christ. You see, the tragedy of Monica's life, the one whom I talked about at the very beginning, is that she was seeking identity, acceptance, and security in the wrong place. While seeking to be satisfied with all she could be in and of herself, her well dried up and her momentary satisfaction crumbled. It crumbled to the dust. And remember the final words we have on her verified accounts I thought I was content. Did you know? that our word content is derived from the Latin word contentus, which means satisfied? Well, now you do, okay? And did you know that the Latin word contentus is derived from the word continere, which means to, it's a verb, sorry, it means to hold in or to contain? Now you do. You know two things. So what do you do with it? What do you do with that knowledge? Satisfied to contain or to hold. I want to end this morning with the answer of what to do with that. I'm going to call each and every one of you to see your heart. You might say your longings, your desires, your wishes, your will. I want you to see your heart as a container. And that's what we'll be looking at in more detail over the next four weeks. Your heart is a container. What are you going to fill that container with? What are you going to fill that container with? So where are you going to go to find it? How much will it take to satisfy the longings, the hunger, the thirst of your heart. I'm going to tell you where to go. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Let Jesus fill your heart. For only then will you be truly satisfied, truly content, really and truly known, really and truly accepted, and really and truly secure now. And forevermore. I can't end this sermon without pointing us to the very end. There were lots of people 
looking for filling. They wanted to hitch their identity to this idea, a promise. You know what happened to all those people, most of those people? They left. They turned away. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away? Oh, Simon Peter. Oh, Peter. Gets it right. Verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. To where, to whom shall I go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. Only Jesus can truly satisfy. Amen and amen.